Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The movie theatre complex I work at is a pretty standard one. Large lobby, popcorn confectionery stands and film posters everywhere you look. There are numerous screens with row after row of seats in soft, if a little dusty, red fabric. We have 12 screens in total officially. They're pretty obviously laid out. You grab your ticket and head past the attendant in the little roped-off gate. You go down through one of the wide scarlet corridors of the complex, past large, faintly glowing white signs with enormous numbers printed across their faces. Screens 1 to 5 are on the left. Screen 7 to 12 are on the right. Screen 6 is straight ahead. Screens 9 and onwards require you to head around the corner at the far end, and for screen 12, another still. There's a bunch of stuff back there. A large supply closet, a vending machine, restrooms employee-only areas that lead you to some of the screen's backstages. Not as exciting as you might think. But there's something else as well. We don't really know that much about it. The big boss has forbidden us from heading down there, but he's never actually here, so naturally we ignore this rule pretty frequently. My immediate supervisor loves going down. When there's a few of us off shift, we'll typically sneak off as a little squad head down with a few boxes of popcorn, and watch for like an hour or so. It's always fascinating and it's always different. Screen zero. There's no big glowing sign with a zero on it, if that's what you're wondering. Screen zero is just a nickname we've decided on. As a collective, it seems appropriate. Screen zero can be reached by heading through a set of nondescript double doors by the storeroom, near the visitor entrance for screen 12. We're heading there now, my supervisor and I, and a group of three others. It's a quiet one tonight, and the only background noises to our joking and low-grade banter is the muffled general buzz and the rumble of the movies playing on the screens behind the corridor walls. The glowing panel for screen 11 flickers and whirls as we pass by. The thing's been on the blink for weeks now, We've been waiting on a repair for a while. What do you think is going to show tonight then, Ali? Lenny asked me. That's my supervisor, Lenny. He's only a couple of years older than me. It's going to be a spooky one, I reply, grinning. I can feel it. I hate the scary ones. One of my colleagues mutters beside me as he stuffs a handful of popcorn into his mouth. They give me nightmares. There's a few snickers of pussy and other such insults, accompanied by some good-natured jostling. I'm not a part of it, however. I don't blame him. It's all fun and games in the light of the day, but at night, at times like this, and especially down there in the dark, screen zero can be seriously unsettling. 
Though that's part of the thrill, I guess. Now, Screen Zero is at first glance a screen like all the others. A hundred or so seats in all rows like you expect. The only light in Screen Zero, until the screen comes alive that is, is the faint dim glow of the green emergency exit sign. We've looked for a switch or a series of mains for the electrics, but our search has so far been unsuccessful, nor have we been able to find any way backstage. Screen Zero seems to be triggered into life once everyone in the room has taken a seat. We reach the end of the complex corridor, past the panel for Screen 12, and we push through the double doors by the storeroom. It opens onto a set of narrow and undecorated stairs, leading down and around into the darkness below, and the mood shifts as it always does to one of excitement, if rather anxious energy, and we begin our steady descent. The screen, typically once everyone has chosen to venture down has settled, it begins to rumble and quietly roar, in a way that movie theatres always do before the movie starts to play. The anticipation builds. If you're particularly attuned, you can feel the subtle vibration of the speakers through the seats. In Screen Zero, some of the others swear they can feel a soft breeze against their faces as the process begins, a stirring of the airs around their skin. Though I have to say I've never felt this myself. We're not sure how, but once we're quiet and watching without foul, that's when the screen always begins to play. It cycles through weird and sometimes downright disturbing commercials and trailers, but we never get to see the actual film. It just never arrives. The anticipation builds and builds and it builds, but the commercials and the trailers never stop coming. The longest I've been down in screen zero was about an hour, but I do know that some of the other guys tried for an overnight session one time, around Halloween. I think they made it about three hours before it all became too much and they bowed. There were four of them in total, but three of them don't come down to screen zero anymore. Two of them quit their job outright. The fourth was Lenny, but even he won't talk to me about what he saw towards the end of their little viewing party. Just that the movie, it never played. We reach the bottom of the staircase and head through the lightless corridor that lies ahead, and through the heavy doors at the opposite end. Screen Zero awaited. Ten bucks says the dead girl plays tonight. Someone mutters. I'll take you up on that, says someone else chuckling. And we scooch down the aisle to the seats in the very middle, the best in the house. The commercials and trailers that Screen Zero chooses to play for us are almost always different, unique in their own rights. That's part of what makes it so fascinating. But Dead Girl is one of the screen's rare examples of repetition. It's a trailer that varies slightly in its content, but it always features the same titular character, the Dead Girl, for a movie officially titled You Left Her Behind and She Died. Not the catchiest of titles, and one that often draws laughter when we talk about it later in the lobby upstairs. But when it appears in simple white text against the black title card before the trailer, I can never help but feel a terrible sense of sinking dread. I know the others feel it too. I'm hoping we won't see it tonight, 
but such is never guaranteed. I think about my previous experiences in Screen Zero as I take my seat, and the all-too-familiar rumble picks up at the edges of the walls. Goosebumps ripple across my skin, and I feel the urge to turn around, to look behind me, and I do so. Behind is nothing but empty seats and shadow. I look back at the screen. Screen Zero has shown us all sorts of curious and twisted scenes over the course of our many visits. The commercials are typically a little less frightening than the trailers, if still rather unsettling at heart. I remember an ad for something called The Grinder. The screen flashed with blueprints for an enormous machine, one that rotated around and around, a picture of linear gears and barbs and crunching metal teeth. It was calmly discussed and I presume explained by a man off-screen, speaking in a language that none of us understood. It sounded vaguely European. After a little more discussion, the animated blueprints revealed a steadily moving conveyor belt, one that led right into the path of the grinder. The animations were lost in favour of a more realistic 3D graphic of a large clear container filling up with a dark red-black fluid, affixed to the grinder's side as it turned and turned. The man's voice then suddenly cut out, replaced by silence, and after a few seconds more, the commercial cut out entirely, abruptly ending in black. Another time there was a public safety announcement. A group of kids aged around 9 or 10, they were talking and playing with a group of Playmobil figures around a barbecue grill in a warm garden. The camera kept panning in real close on one of the figures, to the sound of a beating heart, growing steadily louder and louder. Eventually, the figure was carelessly dropped by a kid who was playing with it, and the camera watched as it tumbled into the barbecue grill and fell down past the metal grid onto the coals below. The camera maintained a slow pan as the children's laughter faded away, and the figure started to burn and melt. The flames grew brighter and brighter in intensity, and not until the little toy had been melt beyond recognition did the screen cut mercifully to black. Fire is not a toy, it said in yellow text. Keep your children safe from the dangers of fire. Ugh, even thinking about it makes me shiver. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I remember the screen playing us a commercial of an enormous water park. Indoors somehow, which I would deem impossible given the supposed size of the park and the place, it was entirely empty. And the camera planned across a plethora of exciting and, upon reflection, a great many physically impossible slides. But there was no people. It was rainforest-themed, beneath an enormous glass-like dome. Some of the slides intersected with each other, the water flowing impossibly down only their predestined tracks, 
rippling with nothing more than a few bubbles where these streams intersected. The camera dove down great tunnels, tunnels seemingly without end, filled with spiralling colours and flashing lights and cascading waters, widening into sizes that made no logistical sense, merging with more of the tunnels and carrying off and away into the unknown. One of the tunnels was pitch black and made me feel very cold as the camera passed by it, lingering for a moment on its entrance and the churning grey-white foam that frothed there. There's something down there, I remember thinking. There's something in the tunnel. One time it just played us footage of an empty screen zero for three full minutes, just footage of the screen's empty seats in the darkness. That could well have been the creepiest, actually. I was watching through my fingers, ever expecting something to happen, for something to jump out from the shadows, but nothing ever did. My thought process was interrupted by Screen Zero's dutiful awakening. I exchanged some nervous but excited glances with the guys. My heart beats with fearful anticipation. Here we go. Screen Zero flickers to life. One of the guys to my left munches quietly on a mouthful of popcorn. The first commercial cuts through the rumbling quiet with such intensity that I jump in fright in my seat. Welcome, announces a sharp voice, and the screen rolls back to show us a man in a brown suit, walking across a hill of fresh green grass. He grins, revealing a mouthful of bright white teeth. Welcome indeed, friends-to-be, my pioneers to a place that defies the limits of the world we know. It's time to re-question your assumptions about what it means to be alive. He throws out a hand and the camera pans quickly across a theme park of enormous complexity, a picture of interlocking rails and whirling animatronics. Dreamworld salutes you, the man proudly proclaims, and through a series of fades we are taken around to the theme park. We see a fountain covered in robotic little frogs. The yellow-orange eyes of a fiberglass dragon flash bright as it turns on its pedestal. In the midst of a roller coaster, one that passes through a cave, the cogs turn beneath the green-grey plastic of its body and it opens its mouth, almost as if it was about to try and speak. Then the scene transitions to a colossal animatronic well rising up from a body of water. An electric whale song pulses out from its form, as the water above it is pushed aside. I grimace. This spectacle fills me with a deep and bizarrely criminal fear. The whale just looks ever so slightly too fake to be real. The movements of its jaw are too robotic. Its eye looks just a little too painted. And the result is an enormous monster. I dread to think what vicious gears and pistons churn beneath it in the dark water. Harry Lawson's Dreamworld reads the text across the screen. Opening three. Not opening third, or opening in three months or three weeks. Just opening three. The screen cuts to black and the commercial is replaced by another. The screen fades into an aquarium, bathed in a pale icy light. I shiver. I get the impression that the aquarium is cold, and I feel this cold second hand. A series of unusual circles appear, 
overlaid on the screen in a panning shot of the aquarium beyond. There are three of these circles, some darker than others, and two of them are broken in places. I move my head from side to side and realise that the circle in the middle seems to be closer than the others, as if it was pushed out from the screen towards me. It's an optical illusion of some kind, one that makes me feel rather dizzy. The circles vanish and the sound of grating stone, like a rock being dragged over a sheet of rough granite, is played through the speakers, accompanied by an atmospheric bubbling from various tanks. The camera takes us through the aquarium, though I do not recognise any of the fish. We are shown silvery little creatures with tiny black bead eyes, rippling silently through the water of their home. Curious cylinder crabs with tall, towering shells amble and shuffle through the sands at the bottom of their tank. Eels lined with fur slither grotesquely around and over each other in an exhibit filled with mossy green water. The pupils of their eyes are rectangular, like those of a goat. The ruined and mutilated carcass of some now unrecognisable creature is dumped into the body of dark water, and it's drawn down into the depths by a great dark lobster-like claw, one of horrific size. I squirm in my seat. Something is different tonight. These commercials feel more real than usual. I hate it. I hate it, I decide, and I want to leave. But I refuse to be attacked as a pussy by the others. I won't be the first to get up. I won't. It doesn't help that to do so would, I believe, feel like breaking some kind of twisted spell. And I'm not walking up those creepy-ass stairs in the dark by myself. The commercial continues and it shows us a mermaid. She is beautiful if a little eerie. She does not look fake. She does not look like a person in a costume or CGI. She looks real. And she stares into the camera in sad silence, her hair floating above her bare shoulders in the icy water. She's lonely, I decide. The ad cuts out, replaced by another. The walls of screen zero rumble on. The faint green glow of the emergency exit sign flickers in the darkness. And when the screen relights, I feel my stomach lurch in distress. No, someone murmurs in dismay to my right. It's her. It's the dead girl. It's too soon, I think in curious panic. She's not supposed to appear until the trailers. It's too early. It's way too early for this. I have to remind myself that I'm just watching a screen. They're just pictures on a screen. I'm not in any danger. We are not in any danger. There is no crunching or rustling in the seats around me now. In death silence we watch, unable to take our eyes from the screen. The trailers and promos for the dead girl are always slightly different, but at their base they contain the same core elements. The camera begins on the girls' corpse. She is still as death. Her eyes are wide and lifeless, teeth clenched. She is slumped in the seat in the movie complex, not dissimilar to our own. The light is cold and blue, the same as the shade of her skin. Her eyes are also blue, only paler. She stares up at nothing, up towards the ceiling. She has something clasped tight in her hand. She always does. 
but as always I cannot see what it is. The camera pans slowly back, so terribly, painfully slow. I want to look away, but I just can't bring myself to do so. As more of the room is made clear to the audience, the edges of the theatre seats are revealed to be tipped with frost. The sound of wind blowing beyond the walls grows subtly in volume as snow starts to drift into the girls' complex. My heart drums in my chest. The camera begins to rotate, around it goes, and the broken walls of the complex are made clear. Beyond their edges, only bleak white mist. In another few seconds, the camera will meet the gaze of the dead girl. Her eyes will bore back into mine. The anticipation is torture, and I cringe in discomfort. Any second now. And our eyes meet. The camera cuts to a close-up shot of the dead girl's face. You left her behind, reads the text, and she died.
Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.